If you will, open up your Bible to Ephesians, the first chapter. Uh, it's, this is week five. We started a, a series that if you look online, it's just called E, and right next to it, it has a number, which is the chapter, but this is on the book of Ephesians. I've never done something like this, and so in praying, it seemed really good to do this, and then it took us about four weeks, and we've gone through the first two verses, <clears throat> so that doesn't mean like you can come back in five years and we'll still be on Ephesians. It could be much longer than that. <clears throat> no, I'm kidding. But, so anyway, if you'll open up your Bible to Ephesians, the first chapter, you'll see it's like we're going to get some ground covered today. And um, good things are, are working, and I'm expecting God to do something inside of you that'll change you. So Ephesians, the first chapter, and we're going to read four, the fourth verse. See, we're moving along now. The fifth verse and the sixth verse. So we're going to go three, through three verses, but really we're going to touch on one main point. But I think, you know, there are going to be probably verses, because I was talking to a pastor friend. He said, are you doing like a verse by verse? And I said, no. And people really don't do verse by verse studies meaning they'll read the verse, but there are some points they just don't touch on. And so we, they, we may not even read every verse, but we're going to move through. But so far, we're about to hit every verse. Um, so uh, verse, actually, that's not true. We're going to skip verse, well, no. Pastor Linda, when I was gone, did three. So, which is a real good verse, too, to know stuff about. But verse four said, just as he chose us, Don't keep reading. Sometimes Jesus said, let that sink into your hearing. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Verse 6 to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted into the beloved. I remember when I first started reading the book of Ephesians, I don't know, it's been a number of years now, but I used to read through the first chapter and go, what did he just say? And it seemed like it was so good because like to the praise of the glory of his grace, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. He just said a lot. What did he just say? And I was like that. And, you know, and then I would read, you know, other parts. I'd come back to Ephesians, the first chapter, and through Ephesians, go, there's a lot, there's something good in there, but what exactly? I mean, think of the, there's a lot said in those from verse four to verse six. And, um, you know, Peter said this concerning Paul. And Peter traveled with Jesus, and, uh, but Paul was called. He just didn't travel with Jesus. Jesus appeared to him, and he got saved, and then Jesus appeared to him other times too, talked to him. But Paul was used by God to write two-thirds of the New Testament, and Peter endorsed him. He said there's many things that he has written, you know, that some of them are hard to be understood. And he said, unlearned or uneducated people wrestle with them to their own destruction. 
they get messed up. <clears throat> and But that isn't God's plan. He didn't say something to mess people up and to confuse them. I have found that many of the things he wrote now as time has gone by are actually pretty plain, but you kind of have to know other scriptures and read other things that he wrote. You with me? In other words, there are other things Paul wrote to clarify things and to help us have understanding. And so in verse 4 it says this, Just as he chose us, he, God, chose us in him or in Jesus before the foundation of the world. God chose us to be in Christ before you ever existed, before the world was ever created. He, because in his foreknowledge, knew we were coming, and he picked us before we got here. But did he only pick us? It says that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Notice in verse 5 it says, Having predestined us to the adoption as sons. So if you're a woman, you're a child or a son of God. Now he's not talking, you know, just in the Bible, you know, the masculine form is always used like concerning angels and things like that. So it's not some weird something. But we're children of God. By Jesus Christ. But that phrase, he, from the foundation of the world, he had chose us in Christ. And then he uses in verse 5, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. According, this is why he did it. It was according to his good pleasure of his will. It pleased God to predestine us. <clears throat> but when people hear that, people who don't look at all scriptures and look at things, they think that there are some that are predestined to be saved. <clears throat> and if you are not one of them, it doesn't matter what you do, you can't be saved. Because <clears throat> he predestined some and some are not predestined there is that teaching there's a whole group of people that that believe like that 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 there are just things set down that God predestined and it's just a predestination he predetermined he did though but don't let the Bible say something it doesn't say and don't add your own commentary where there isn't commentary. That's one of the biggest things is we need to be careful where we add our commentary. And where commentary is added. Let the Bible add its own commentary. But the fact of the matter is it said, He having predestined us to the adoption as sons. Who is predestined? Just us? What, 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 what if you're here and you're not saved, you haven't given your life to Christ yet, <clears throat> then would the challenging thought be, did he predestine me? 
And does predestination mean that it's an absolute? That whatever he predestines happens. Because if he predestines it, and by the way some people talk, then it just has to happen because he predestined it. Is that true? It's a good question. Because then I couldn't help it when I said, Jesus be my Lord. It was just, that was how it is. And the person who didn't call on him, they couldn't really help it anyways. Why would then God have said, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord would be saved? Why then would there be a judgment? Because why judge me for something I had no control over? Why be bothered when you do wrong because you had no control over it? Because you were just predestined. It's a good question. Who is predestined? And does predestination mean it always happens? In other words, this. Have you ever gone on a journey and you said, we're going to go to this hotel and you predestined, it was your destination that was predetermined and you got three quarters of the way there or you got there because you had stayed there before and then all of a sudden you looked and there was a brand new hotel that you had heard about and they built one right by the one you were at and it said, sale. Half off this week we've opened and you were predetermined, predestined. You had set it in the GPS. You'd set it in your phone. You marked it out on a map, but you got right there, but you turned off and went somewhere else. Has God predestined that all people be saved? Has he set this as the destination he wants for everybody? Will everybody be saved? No. Because the Bible, Jesus said they wouldn't. Here's a question. Now that you're saved and have given your life to the Lord, are there predestined things for you? And if they are predestined for you, does predestination mean or predestined mean it will happen? Turn to Romans 8 real quick and then keep your place there. In, if you're in a Bible and if you're on a tablet or something, obviously, you'll have to go right back there. But notice this. This is written to believers. This is people who have given their life to the Lord. We know in Romans, the Bible tells us 
don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can know His good, acceptable, perfect will of God. But he talks about being transformed and not conformed to the world, but be taken and changed into something else by the renewing of your mind. So that's God's will, right? Is that what he has predetermined? What, has he predetermined something in that course? Has he predestined something? Because we talk about being transformed by the renewing in our mind, but what does that look like? Where is that result? Where does that take us? Do you know that there is a predestined place that God would like all believers to get to? But we have a part to play in it, even though he has predestined you. This is a good one. Because if you look at these, this Paul wrote too. But notice this in the, in the 8th chapter, in the 29th verse, it says, And who he foreknew... He knew you before you knew him. He foreknew. He also predestined. Before a bus leaves the yard, many times they put the little sign up, you know, this route. But he also predestined. He's talking about... Every believer, this he has predestined for you. He's predestined, he's also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Whoa. He's predestined every believer to be conformed to the image of his son. See, Jesus didn't live his life as God. He lived his life as a man. The Bible said in James 1, God cannot be tempted with evil. But we know in Luke 4 and other places, Jesus was tempted with evil. And we know that the Bible said he laid aside his eternal weight and privileges as God and became like man. That's why he got tired. But the Bible said God is never weary. So when he lived here, why did he live here? The Bible actually said he lived here to show us an example of how we ought to live. So he has predestined us to be conformed to his image, the image of Jesus. What are some of the things that Jesus was like and he would like us to be conformed to that? Jesus always obeyed God. He put his own ambitions aside, and he just lived for him his whole life. And he didn't make choices based on what he wanted. And there were times he struggled, even in the garden, when he prayed three different times. And said, nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. The Bible said in Hebrews, Jesus learned how to obey by the things he suffered. In other words, he when he was there battling back and forth, what should I do? And prayed and sought God and got his heart settled and stayed with it and never missed the mark. 
we are predestined. God has put as our destination, your destination, to be like Jesus. He is our example. Paul even said, follow me as, not blindly, but as I follow Christ. We've all been predestined. Will everybody who goes to heaven come close to that predestination? Nope. Nope. Can people? Yep. Takes an individual cooperating, renewing their mind, and beginning to crucify their flesh and to change their will to follow after his working in their life. But it is what he has predestined. So back to Ephesians 1. Because that's helpful to know that God has a plan for you. It's to be like Jesus. I know that freaks people out, but let them be freaked out. Right? Just let them be freaked out. We don't have to freak out and back away from something that he plainly said. We're not trying to be Jesus We're not trying to be the Savior. He didn't say that. He said be conformed to his image. You know what's interesting? There was unlearned and uneducated people that followed Jesus, and they succeeded in life. And there was a group of religious people that saw them in the book of Acts, and after they heard them speak in different things, they said they perceived that they had been with Jesus. They had started, he started rubbing off on them, and they started looking different. And that's God's plan, predetermined plan for you to not have a beard and long hair and wear sandals and a robe to church with like a rope or something. Hey, that's not what he's talking about. If you want a beard and you're a man, that's okay. Unless you want to work at the circus. But what I'm saying is, somebody said, that's just mean. Well, take it for what it is. But that being said, we're predetermined or predestined. In other words, this was God's plan for your life before you ever showed up that Not only would everybody be saved, but not everybody's going to because they have a choice in it. And then his design is for everybody to be conformed to the image of Jesus, but not everybody will because everybody has a part to play in it. So predestination does not determine the outcome. Because the Bible said in Timothy, Paul writing to him as a minister, he said, Paul wrote and said, God wills that none would perish. But all would come to repentance. But then he said, if you want to be used by God, you have to cleanse yourself of these things. There's a part we play. So here, when he said, verse 4, just as he chose, just as he chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption of As sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. It's God's good pleasure that we be saved. He predetermined this. 
just because he predetermined or he foreknew doesn't mean that he makes certain things happen. There's a verse in Peter in the second chapter in the 10th verse that says, or the 20th verse, for, I'm sorry, that was a different verse I'd looked at, and it's not even in my notes. But First Peter, and you can look at that later. But First Peter 1.20 talks about, it says this, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last days. The book of Revelation says he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. In other words, God saw what it would take because man in his foreknowledge knew that man would mess up. But God has never wanted robots. He's wanted people who would willingly serve him. Willing. And there's, all, there's so many verses about our place and our will and us choosing him. He chose us but we still have to choose Him. Some people say, well, God could do this all without us. No, He cannot because He has relegated things to us. We are an important part to God and He cared enough about us to do something for us when we could do nothing for ourselves. And He chose us and He foresaw what it would take because He foresaw what we did. And he set a plan into motion. And before the foundation of the world, he was already planning stuff. He was already planning stuff. He was planning for the future what would need to be. And then Jesus manifested in the earth at the right time. There's just a side thought here because we're actually going to get to verse 6 and that's what I want to look at is if he preordained stuff long before Jesus ever came, and Jesus had to make certain choices along the way to walk out God's will for his life, and God even appeared one time in the glory of God in his power on this mountain, and Jesus was up there, and Peter, James, and John, and, and he spoke in an audible voice, and he said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. But he talked about how he always does those things that pleased him. Jesus did what pleased God. We have a choice what we do. We should want to please God more than we want to please anybody. If we really get that settled... That's a good place to get to. How much do you want to please Jesus with your life, with the choices you make? Because they're really not about us. It's about can't, can't, can I please him? Is what I'm deciding pleasing? And, and he was pleased to save us and to do this work, but we have a place in this role too. And so what I want to look at here is this verse eight, uh, 6, where it says, to the praise. What is praise? It's adoration, it's thanks, you know, man, this is awesome. To the praise of the glory, or you could say the greatness of His grace. Man, the greatness of His grace. What about His great grace? What, you know, to the praise of it. Man, it's so awesome this grace. When you really know 
it can make you thankful. And notice, and this is the phrase that when I was praying seemed to be what we need to target on. By which, or by this grace, he made us, he made us accepted in the beloved. He made us accepted in the beloved. God accepts us and he made us accepted. In other words, so many people want to be accepted and they try to do stuff. God, am, am I working hard enough? Am I doing enough? Am I? He accepts you and you are accepted based on Jesus. Now, we can do stuff that's pleasing in his sight, but by Jesus, you have been accepted. Ephesians 2.8 says this, for by grace, remember, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Why is his grace so wonderful? Why should it bring our hearts joy when we understand it? Because said, by, for by grace you have been saved. Through faith. In other words, you trusted in what he did and you were saved by his great grace. It was his working. What we need to understand is this. We have been made accepted by God. We don't have to cower before God. We don't have to duck and cover before God. We need to recognize there should be a boldness because He made me accepted. Notice the phrase, this was His plan to get us back to Himself, and then He made me when I say me, I mean you, accepted in the beloved. You know, there are people who know they're saved, but they flinch in themselves. When Because I've heard this over the years, and I didn't know there were verses that covered this. They'll say, yeah, I'm saved. I gave my life to the Lord. And then you'll hear them talk, and then they'll say stuff like this. They'll get in a group of believers. I've heard this before. Man, I hope when I get there to heaven, he lets me in. They just think like there's these scales of justice. And I know I'm saved. And there's people who are confident that they belong to God, but they think when they die, when they get right in front of them, somewhere what got them saved here changes there. And there's an underlying fear uh, that they live with thinking, will I actually get in? There are people like that. It, it, just out of honesty, has anybody ever here ever dealt with a thought like that? Put your hand up. One, two, three. Put your hand up if you have. Keep, put it up. That's a pretty good chunk of people. And that's not to condemn anybody. But it's just helpful. There are people who have thought, well, if when I get there, will I get in? And I mean, there are lots of people that I've heard this from over the years. But he made us accepted. Let's look at something that will clarify this. Go to 1 John. 1 John 4. And the Bible is good for many reasons. One, it's from God. That's good enough. 
But truth can uproot things that can make people not have the right posture before God. And they can do things to tweak us and drive things out. And there are some things that need to be driven out, and there are other things that need to get settled in. You with me? And, and it's important. So I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is because I don't want to read from the whole chapter, I'm going to read a couple of verses, skip a couple of verses, and then read a few more. But you can go back and read the whole thing in its context. It just describes some different things about actions that we, we don't need to look at right now. But in 1 John 4, verse 9, it says this, and it's talking about our life, us loving, but about Jesus coming and dying for us. In this, verse 9, 1 John 4, verse 9, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us. In this that he's about to talk about, God's love was shown toward us. Notice this. It was manifested toward us that God has sent His Son, His only begotten Son, into the world that we might live through Him. What is the manifestation of God's love toward us? Most people know John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, verse 17, but that the world through Him might be saved. He didn't send, a, send Him to condemn us. We were already in trouble. But notice it says, in this, the love of God was manifest, or you could say, His love is shown in what He's about to say. That God has sent His only begotten Son. He died for us. Some people struggle with God's love and the understanding of God loving them, and that it is His love that made us accepted. Notice this, verse 10. In this, in this is love, in what he's talking about. In this is love. So in this what is love? In this manifestation of God's working that he worked in Christ is love. What he did was the pinpoint of love for humanity. In this is love. What he just finished reading is the expression of his love toward humanity and toward us. In this is love. Not that we loved God. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation 
which you could just say the payment for our sins. That is God's love toward us. That is the expression of His love. Notice verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love others. But let's skip down to verse 14. So what is God's love to us? How do we see God's love to us? The way we experience God's love and know that God loves us. How do you know God loves you? That's another question. How do you know God loves you? I don't. Well, I know he loves you because you have a microphone. You're up there preaching. No. Why he loves me is the same reason he loves you. It's the same reason he loves the world. He loves us because of Jesus. It's shown by what he did when he sent his son. Notice this, verse 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses, now remember, we're predestined. The world is predestined to be saved in Christ. But notice, here's the condition. Whosoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known. Hear this. We have known. We, we who are saved have known. What have we known? Notice, and we have known, and then it says, and we have believed the love that God has for us. I have heard Christians say, I just don't know if God loves me because I think they're waiting for like a hug or a feeling. And Christians, lots of them, struggle with God. Does God love me? But right here it says you've known God's love and you've already believed in it. And there are people who say, well, I don't know if I believe God really loves me. Because what happens is people in their faulty thinking move away from the Scripture and try to have, you know, like what somebody will say, God just came down and gave me a hug the other day. It just showed me He loved me. And then somebody else is like, I'm not feeling a hug. I may, I'm not a big hugger. Maybe He knows that. But I sure could use one right now because I'm not really feeling love. And people get all confused about God loving them because they don't realize and somehow they just move away from and they, they, they'll even say, I just, don't, I just don't know if I have faith that he loves me. Then you're not saved. Somebody said, well, no, 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 I'm saved. Then you have faith that he loved you and that he loves you. No, I, no, I don't. I'm saved, but I don't. You're mixing things up. The manifestation of God's love toward humanity was Jesus being sent for you. 
when you knew it and believed it, you actually accepted God's love to you the day you got saved. So in all reality, every Christian has known and believed the fact that God really loves them. When they accepted Jesus, they were accepting God's love to them. And they really have faith in it. To have faith in Jesus as your Savior is to have faith in God's love toward you. Notice this. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God. Or you could say he who abides in Jesus abides in God and God in him. Verse 17, love has been perfected. It just means matured or developed among us in this. That we may have, in other words, when this love is developed and matured, our understanding of it, Notice, he said this, love has been matured, developed, perfected among us in this. In other words, here's how you can see that you really are understanding God's love to you. You can see it in this right here. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. When you really know that Jesus bought and paid for your salvation, that he made you accepted in the beloved, and it was his work, not your work, then it'll give you boldness in the day of judgment. I'm saved. I'm going through those gates. I'm standing before. Now, I'm going to receive a reward. I don't know what I'm going to get. This is a different subject, but I'm getting in because he bought it, he paid for it, he made me accepted. This was his work. I've believed in his love. I have come to the understanding and I have matured in my understanding about his love toward me that he did the work. That gives you boldness in the day of judgment. So when other people are going, I know I'm saved, but I don't know if when I get there I'm going to get in. They really don't understand the payment that was made to get them accepted in the beloved. I mean, that's like having a membership to a gym, one of the, you know, because you can buy those lifetime ones sometimes, and you spend $300, and you get a lifetime thing right when a place opens sometimes. And that'd be like going and thinking, I don't know if I'm going to get in. I don't know if I'm going to get in. I don't, you know, I've been eating a lot of Twinkies lately. I just, you know, it's not like you're going to walk up and they're going to go, hey, you look like you've been eating a lot of Twinkies lately. You ain't coming in here. I had a lifetime membership, but I guess it just won't work if I eat a bunch of Twinkies. No, when you understand you've been accepted in the beloved, you understand it based on his love toward you. And when you understand that, it gives you boldness in the day of judgment. But what else does it give you? Notice, it gives you boldness in the day of judgment because as he, this statement right here, you know, talking about being predetermined to be conformed to the image of Christ, this one will shake your teeth. You know, you ever got hit your bike and went, you know, or something when you were a kid or, you know, you did something and just rattled your teeth and they all hurt. You know, you got socked or something. No, nobody here because we were all good, right? I have been. You, know, you, just, you just rattle your jaw. This will rattle your jaw, but it's still the truth. 
And it's in this context of his working toward us. Notice this, because as he is, as he is present tense there, so are we in this world. As he is, so are we in this world. You know, a few weeks back on a Sunday night, I taught about what it is to be righteous and that only the people who are as righteous as Jesus presently is can get to heaven. And if you're not as righteous as Jesus is, you cannot get to heaven. So, okay, you got hit in your helmet, your teeth got rattled, and so now I'm shaking your face mask. (laughs) But it's our lack of understanding that robs us of confidence in that day when I make a statement like, you know, is righteous, you got to be as righteous as Jesus, and if you're not as righteous as Jesus, you cannot make it into heaven. If you're not as righteous as Jesus, but see, we just got done saying other things that he made us accepted so we can have boldness. Now I start talking about if you're not as righteous as Jesus, you ain't getting to heaven. That is a fact. And then people go, oh, great, here we go. Who could ever be as righteous as Jesus? Oh, Oh, my goodness, I was going to have a good lunch until until you said that. I was just getting excited. I'm going to have cake. I'm feeling pretty good. And now I'm not. Because as he is, just as he is, so are we in this world. And like I said, the only way you can get there and be accepted and stand before him. And I went into great detail on this. I'm only going to hit one scripture. There's loads of them. But if you're not as righteous as him, you can't get in. But as he is, so are we in this world. And you have to be accepted by him based on what he did, not what you did. We've already seen that. Turn to Romans because your eyes need to look on this. There's a lot of verses we could look at. But your eyes need to look on this. You need to get your little beady eyes on this till it burns an image inside of you, you know? You know, have you ever, when you were a kid, you go out and stare at the sun, and your parents said, don't do that, that'll hurt you. And then you blink after, and you just see white dots all the time, you know? For, and then they slowly fade away. You need to stare at this until it puts something in your eyes, so when you blink, you go, okay, I got it, I got it. And if it ever moves away from seeing that, you need to go stare back at the light of the Word until it puts an image in you, and you see yourself like this. Because as he is, so are you, whether you feel like it or not. But sometimes we're like, oh. The enemy tries to take advantage of people through ignorance. And tries to dumb down the importance of truth. But without truth, there's no confidence. But in true light of the truth, it brings great confidence. Notice this, 
verse 26. You can read the whole chapter later on on your own. Don't start right now, but just Romans 3, 26. To demonstrate at the present time that he, this present time, his righteousness. Remember, the only way you're going to get to heaven is, is if you're as righteous as Jesus. And if you're not as righteous as him, you can just mark it down. You are not getting in, period. And if you know the truth, you're not even sweating. You're going, glory to God. Hallelujah, I'm going to heaven. Notice this verse. There are many like this. Why these things are not emphasized, as a matter of fact, the principle of growth and lack of growth spins around this statement here of righteousness. It said babies are unskilled in the word of righteousness in Hebrews 5. This is a truth about righteousness, that if you are going to get to heaven, you have to be as righteous as Jesus. Notice this, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, <clears throat> that he might be just. Some translations say right. It's the exact same word, or they mean the same thing in the Greek. Right, just, at, just or right. And that he might be just or right, and the justifier, it's the same word as righteousness, of the one who has faith in Jesus. Know that, that he might be right or righteous, and he might be the righteousness of the one who has faith in Jesus. How do you stand right before God? By faith in Jesus. That he might be righteous and right, and he might be the righteousness of the one. His righteousness is yours when you have faith in Jesus. That he might be righteous himself, and he might be the righteousness... Because, see, people say, well, I'm trying to be righteous. You might be able to live right and do things, but that doesn't make you right with God. Jesus makes you righteous or right, clean in his sight. So as he is, so are we in this earth. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, him who knew no sin was made to be sin on our behalf that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We were made that way because he took what we were so we could become what he is. He makes us accepted based on Jesus. We're in right standing and we have right standing. That's what righteousness means. We have right standing with God. When we have faith in Jesus. You got it whether you know it or not. And there is verse after verse. Galatians talks about if you try to keep the whole law. If there was a law and rules that could give it, given to give you righteousness and eternal life. Then it would have come that way. But the Bible tells us nobody can be right in his sight by doing good deeds. It all comes righteousness is by faith in Jesus. When you put your faith in Jesus, you actually accepted the gift that makes you right in the sight of God. Makes you as right in the sight of God as Jesus. Why? Because His righteousness is given to you. You with me? 
you're clean because of him, his righteousness or right standing is given to you when you say, Jesus, be my Lord. That's why when people get saved, they have such a sense of, man, I, I could talk to God now, and their relation, and they're like, I want to know God. And it's because something in them tells them, you're in relationship. How can somebody who's not in right standing be in right standing? You are the minute you get saved. Your head may not know it, but the Bible plainly states that God is our righteousness. That's why I made that statement. And I know people, people fight with that sometimes. But you cannot do anything to make yourself righteous to the degree you need to to get to heaven. That's why, think of all the people who tried to keep the Ten Commandments in the Bible, and the Bible said that none of them were made righteous by it. Not one of them was made righteous by it. Not one of them was made. As a matter of fact, the Bible said that all your works are like filthy rags before him, all your own self-righteous acts. And so we need to understand. I'm going to read this verse just because I know there's people that are hearing something that's challenging them right now. Verse 21 of the third chapter of Galatians, it says, <clears throat> we'll read verse 20. Now, a mediator does not mediate between one, but God is one. In other words, Jesus is this mediator. It says this, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law or rules that could be kept, given, which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the Scripture has confined all under sin, or in other words, all are unrighteous, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Notice there is not a law that you can keep that makes you righteous before God. But there is a way to get right in the sight of God. It's through the payment of Jesus. When one receives Jesus, they are actually receiving eternal life. They're receiving right standing. If you would read your Bible, you'll notice in the New Testament that righteousness is not based on works. Righteousness is actually a gift that you get when you get saved. Romans 5.17, wasn't going to read that one, but to clear the air. Romans 5.17, maybe I should have given more time to this. But we were accepted in the beloved by him. Notice there's another verse like that. For if by one man's offense, death, spiritual death, reigned through the one. In other words, humanity was affected. Much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. A gift is something that is given. The gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. When you got saved, you actually received a gift of good standing with God. God took your sins and washed them all away. He made you brand new. 
so you are guilt-free in his sight. That's why the Bible said there's no more condemnation in Christ Jesus. And so let's go back to 1 John. So this will give you boldness when you recognize I'm in good standing with God by a free gift. This is really understanding his love towards you that made you accepted. You didn't make yourself accepted in the beloved. There's nothing you could do. There weren't enough good deeds you could do to make yourself accepted. But there was a free gift offered. And when you received the free gift, you received acceptance in the beloved. You received good standing with God. You were cleansed of everything. And God accepts you now so that you can have boldness in the day when you die. But not only in the day that you die, what if you don't have confidence about that day? Then people who don't have confidence are tormented by fear today. Would you agree? Yeah, I'm just trying. But those people that raise their hand, there might have been other people, because I know, because there's been times, you know, when I said, you know, come down front for prayer, and then, and then you know, you get down, and a few people come, and they say, was there anybody else who wanted to? And a bunch of other people raised their hand. There might have been other people who were thinking that very thing. And he said, when you understand this, it gives you confidence that you have been accepted by Jesus. And as he is, how is he right now? He's in right standing with God. So are you in this earth. You're in as much right standing with God. That's why it tells us we can go boldly to the throne of grace. Because you're in right standing through Jesus. Notice verse 17. Love has been perfected, and when we understand what he paid for among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we right now in this earth. There is no fear in love or this understanding of this love, but perfect or matured love casts out fear because fear involves torment. What torment is he talking about? He's talking about having an underlying torment that am I really accepted before God? Will I really make it in? Does he really care for me? How much standing do I really have in his sight? Well, you know, I'm just not exactly perfect. That goes back to trying to measure yourself. But he said, this perfect love will give you confidence on that day. But in other words, when you understand what he did for you, that he made you accepted, and what it will do for you today, is it will drive away all torment. Because when people fear not being accepted and fear not being able to stand before him and fear these things, there is an underlying torment. How does it work? It robs you of your confidence. It says, well... Do, does he really love you? Do, 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 will he really let you in? That underlying digging will do this to you. It will torment you. And what is it? It's a fear of acceptance. It's a fear that I'm just not as accepted as maybe I should be. And that underlying little digging can do so much to your foundation. I remember I heard a guy who had a patio, and he, uh, I don't know if he was getting ready to sell his house, and they went out to look, and it was a big concrete slab. And he had sprinklers underneath, and they ran underneath, and somebody had put them there, and one had cracked. And just a little stream of water, I guess, had been running for a long time out there, 
and all of a sudden they looked under and there was a big gap underneath this which would should have been a big solid foundation to stand on they said you know if you put any weight on this it's going to break and it'll just fall down we need to fix that pipe and then we need to backfill this with dirt or this this great patio, this foundation is just going to bust and you're going to fall and anybody else out here is going to fall down too. Not that it's going to be like 20 feet. But it's because something underneath that's so small seems so insignificant is just eroding and taking away something that you're supposed to be standing on. And just that little thought that just says you're just not quite good enough, you're just not quite accepted, that you just, you know, if you just don't do everything quite perfect, you're just not accepted in the beloved, you're just not as in good a standing as somebody else. Your standing now is not going to get better when you get to heaven by the way it is going to be exactly the same because what gets you there is what gets you in and what you have now you'll have then the problem is people get there and the enemy's gone who tries to rob and stuff and they understand it but he gave us his truth so we can know the truth so that there's just not that thing that's causing us to fear you know oh what if I don't what if I'm not what if and you're looking at yourself instead of keeping your eyes on Jesus and on what he did and then what that fear does is it produces a torment that just is eroding your foundation so when you go to pray for somebody you're not just quite that confident because he just may yeah that whole thing's been digging for so long that you're just not quite and it just is such a small little thing, but a small little thing can erode a lot. And if it's not dealt with, it doesn't mean you're not saved. It doesn't mean you don't have right standing. It just means you don't know it. And so it makes you have an unsteady foundation. But really, it's only an air castle. It's all like a balloon that just could be popped. Because you do have good standing. You are right in his sight if you've received him. You are as righteous as Jesus, not because of you, but because of him. Because of the praise. Now it makes sense. The praise to the praise of the glory. Oh, how good it is of his grace. That gift, that free gift, by grace you've been saved through faith. We didn't read the last part of it. Not of works, lest any man should boast. He said it's not of yourselves and you can't boast about it. Because it's a free gift. You got this gift of righteousness. You were made accepted in the beloved. This should give you confidence before God. And it should get rid of any underlying fear that would make you say, uh, I just don't know. That's why he said here, what did he say? He said it has torment. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. What love is he talking about? The love that God has to you. What God did for you in Jesus. What he paid for. What he bought. And if you don't know it, even though it is yours, you'll live with an underlying fear that will bring that will produce torment, that will just erode your confidence before God. How people have been robbed of faith 
and robbed of confidence to ask God stuff and to really have an incredible relationship with Him because they've just had these underlying things that are just they're digging. They're tiny. They're not huge. They're just enough. So what do we need to do? We need to develop in this. We need to see these truths for what they are. They are absolute facts that were pronounced by God, were penned by man to drive off anything that would make us not confident before Him, that would make us feel inferior, that would make us feel like He doesn't care about me. And it's interesting. He said, we love Him, the very last part, because He first loved us. 